Welcome aboard! We will be your guides during this magical journey into the movies. It's the perfect job for us because we love the movies. It's showtime! Ready when you are, CB! Action! Welcome to Monorail Radio, episode number 185. I'm Sean. And I'm Jackie. And may, may the, the fourth, fourth be, be with, with you. you. And also with you. Um, <laughs> we are so excited to be here to discuss 2018's Solo, A Star Wars Story. I can only speak for myself when I say that I was so excited when this project got announced and I was even more excited to see that it was completed, which I know sounds like, well, yeah, of course, but considering the amount of controversy and a lot of the uh, chatter on the internet about what the making of this film was like, I was just happy that it saw its completion because there were a lot of people, myself included, that for a time thought we were never going to see the end product. I remember I was happy that they didn't announce another trilogy, that yes, we were getting more Star Wars content and we knew we were getting a lot with Disney Plus, even as far back as 2018. Yeah. But admittedly, I was a little Star Wars out by that point because between Disney Plus and Galaxy's Edge, I did not need them to announce movies 10, 11, and 12. So I'm happy that they pumped the brakes on theatrical releases and it was going to be an origin story instead of doing a whole nother trilogy at that point. I think a lot of people felt the same way, especially because this latest trilogy was so polarizing. Yes. And this came and you had Rogue One. Um, I think a lot of people were just kind of feeling Star Wars out. I think The Mandalorian has given people a renewed interest in Star Wars. Um, whereas this film, and I'm not really spoiling anything, it really put what you're discussing new films, new origin stories, another trilogy, it more or less put all of that on hold because this movie was, in fact, a box office bomb. But why was it a box office bomb? Did it deserve the title of being a box office bomb? That, on top of many things, is what we are here to discuss today. This episode, which we are going to break down linearly, is sponsored by the Hidden Mickey Supply Co. Products include Disney and Pixar-inspired 3D straw charms, ornaments, and personalized photo nightlights. So you can, in fact, take your Disney photo pass standing in front of the Millennium Falcon and have that put on a little nightlight to glow in your room. It'll be, it'll be like you're in a galaxy far, far away. Listeners of Monoreal Radio can get a 10% discount with the code Monoreal10 at checkout. Visit Hidden Mickey Supply Co. on Instagram and Etsy to stay up to date on all the new releases. In a lawless time, crime syndicates compete for resources such as food, medicine, and hyperfuel. On Corellia, a young Han and his girlfriend Kira escape from a gang headed by Lady Proxima in hopes of having a better future. During their escape, they bribe their way through a checkpoint using stolen uh, coaxium to get on a starship leaving Corellia so Han can become a pilot and obtain his own ship. 
to become a pilot and escape, Han joins the Empire after Kira has been captured and he swears that he will return for her. Um, Out of the gate, I'm just going to say this, and I know for a lot of people it's an unpopular opinion. Um, I really think that Alden Ehrenreich does a good job early on. I think he nails the inflections that Harrison Ford, you know, attributed to Han Solo. Um, And I think that he really grabbed the feel of the character and ran with it. Is he Harrison Ford? Of course he's not. But I think, okay, and you can go ahead and shoot the messenger in this case, I think he really did a good job from the jump. I would agree, but it's so funny that you say that he nailed all of the Harrison Ford inflections because to me, when I watch this, I am so reminded of Leonardo DiCaprio in Titanic. What movie are you watching? <laughs> the, the, the dialect, the inflections, he reminds me so much of DiCaprio. But I will say, I think this is a great introduction to the character because when we meet him... Here's Han smooth talking his way out of a situation when he already knows he's busted and he's acting in his own self-interest. But he is softened by Kira, much like the way that the Han that we've all known through these trilogies uh, is softened whenever it comes to Leia. Let me ask you, though, what did you think about giving him another love interest? I think that you had to make Han Solo Han Solo. And I think that Harrison Ford oozes cool, whether he's Han Solo or Indiana Jones. So frankly, I think you needed to I think you needed to put the character through something so that it wasn't just Harrison Ford playing Han Solo. I think Harrison Ford originated a character, and he originated a great character, one of my favorites of all time. But I think, given the fact that this is an origin story, without a ton of source material, if you really think about it, um, I think you had to create a character because we don't know anything about Han Solo. That's the thing. So you needed to give Han Solo a reason to be Han Solo because when we meet him in A New Hope, he is hardened to the world. He is selfish, almost inexplic- uh, inexplicably, and you kind of don't care because he's just so cool, but Han, I love you, I know. All, you needed to know where all of this came from. In this case, um, I kind of don't mind that they softened him and gave him this other love interest to flesh out why he is the way that he is when we meet him in A New Hope. I would agree with that, especially because in terms of this movie, I mean, you have to break him in some way, but because they sort of went for the buddy movie here, whether, and we are going to break this down in much more detail, whether it's Beckett, his relationship with Beckett, or whether it's Chewie, they did lean into the buddy movie a little bit. So you couldn't do something like a Captain America where 
Bucky is sort of his Achilles heel. Um, so yeah, I, I guess the most obvious choice was the love interest. And that is something that I've been curious about is, was that always the plan to give him another love interest to do the buddy movie? Or does that have to do with how many times this film changed hands and re rewrote the scripts and went through all the issues with the director when they, before they finally landed on Ron Howard. Um, I don't want to say too much more because I don't want to give away my final thoughts on it, but that's all sort of what's kind of playing in the back of my mind is what was the intent from the, from the beginning of this project when it was announced and how much of that actually ended up uh, in the story and what we're seeing play out. I think if I have any uh, issue with the beginning of the movie, it's that the desire to be a pilot and I mean, look, I believe Han Solo always wanted to be a pilot. That's just him. He oozes it. But with that being said, I don't know that you needed to be so heavy-handed with, I'm going to be a pilot. You know, and how many times he says, I'm going to be a pilot. Um, I think that, I, I don't think that serves the movie in a positive way. If he said it once or twice... I'd say, okay, that's fine. Um, but I think that they're trying a little too hard to convince us that he's going to be a pilot. Right. And we don't need to hear it because we see it. Aside from right. the fact that, you know, film is first and foremost a visual medium and we need to see it, not hear it. Uh, it is show, not tell, obviously. Um, they're, you know, they, they're in it. They have it rough they don't have much they are just scraping by it's not just Han and Kira it is their entire community um we see that he needs a way out of here and we see that he wants to move on to bigger and better so that didn't need to be stated so many times no and I think the empire twist is great I mean to to create a world where Han Solo so desperately wants to be a pilot that he joins the Empire. Um, I didn't see that coming. I love the twist. That within itself shows us that he wants to be a pilot. At any cost. Yes, without them having to tell us over and over and over again. How, what do you think about how he got his last name? When he's leaving by himself... And he's going to join the Empire, and they need to enter a last name. And because he is alone, he is assigned the name Solo. Uh, I so go back and forth on this being a cheap cop-out. And, well, no, you, you know what? It is a cheap cop-out. It is supposed to be a huge moment. And I guess I can appreciate that you know, his origin story arc wasn't to do a deep dive into his family roots. And then he found out that that was his family name. Um, I like that it was sort of a nickname bestowed upon him, but I would have liked it more if it came from Beckett or something or somebody that he had more of a bond with than just oh, you're alone, you're solo. Because it, what it reminds me of really is Muppets when Amy Adams has the thesaurus and she's annoyed with Jason Siegel for missing their anniversary. Yes. Yeah, that makes sense. 
Um, all right, let's keep going here. Three years later, Han is fighting for the Empire when he meets Tobias Beckett and his crew, who are imposters pretending to be Imperial soldiers. Han wants to join their gang, but they initially decline his wish. When he threatens to blackmail them, they have him locked up as a deserter where he meets Chewbacca, whom was supposed to kill Han, but they decide to escape together. That was supposed to be Han's punishment. They track down Beckett before he leaves on his ship, and seeing the value of having a Wookiee on board, Beckett takes them in. I love absolutely everything about this scene because it is working in tandem to push character and story forward. I love the introduction to Chewie. I love their immediate bond, too. Same. But it's not just Chewie, though. It sets up Beckett as he's a likable character and you want to trust him, but you can't just yet. You know that he's going to double cross you at some point. So I think it serves to develop Beckett's character just as much as it does to establish that bond with Chewie. Yeah, and I think that, again, Alden Ehrenreich is really selling this well. Yes. Especially, that's the thing, right? Like, it's always Han and Chewie. He on his own, I said before, was really good. But I think the minute you put him with Chewbacca, he didn't seem out of place. And he also didn't seem like somebody that was like trying to be Han Solo or trying to be Harrison Ford with Chewbacca. He just seemed like Han Solo with Chewbacca. I also like that it wasn't the case that they immediately teamed up, that, that Chewie was meant to kill him. And it was it was more a relationship of, okay, I'll scratch your back, you scratch mine. Yeah. Once, you know, once he realizes Chewie's not going to kill him. Um, they didn't immediately take to okay we're a team and we're gonna go with Beckett but really it's you and me working together you know there was no like wink and a nudge agreement between the two of them they were still feeling each other out quite a bit yeah um on Vandor one Beckett enlists Chewie and Han to help steal coaxium however Enfys Nest a group of marauders arrive to steal it themselves Beckett's wife, Val, and pilot, Rio, are killed in the heist, and Han, fearing for their safety, releases the coaxium, causing it to explode. A furious Beckett tells Han that the load was meant to be delivered to Crimson Dawn, a crime syndicate. And if they don't produce the coaxium, Dryden Voss, who leads them, will kill them. Han convinces Beckett to let them go with him to make it up to Voss. Because now it's just the three of them left. There's a moment here where Beckett tries to give Han the out. When Han and Chewie are trying to join them. And Beckett gives him the out. And I love this for character development. Yes. I love it for Beckett. And I love it for Han. No, and it does give us such a false sense of security because you do sort of feel like he is going to be like a Captain Jack Sparrow sort of character where Will should trust him because he's always going to be loyal to Will, but he's not always going to do the right thing. And in this case, you sort of think that Han is going to be able 
to have that same sort of relationship and they're going to no matter what else happens they are going to be loyal to each other uh so it's a it's very much a false sense of security and i really like where they take that relationship between the two of them throughout the rest of the film yeah uh i love the heist scene i think that train track is absolutely incredible um I, I kind of wish there was a way to incorporate that into some sort of ride. That would have been really cool had they not gotten rid of Catastrophe Canyon. If if there was some sort of uh, way to ride that track around Catastrophe Canyon, you know, I'm thinking that if they if this film had been a commercial success, they may have even had it as a scene or an option in Smuggler's Run. Because right. you are stealing Coaxium in Smuggler's Run, but the way that Star Tours kind of takes you in and out of different scenes and different scenarios in the Star Wars universe, I mean, they could have done it. Perhaps that was part of their plan, and they just ditched it after the film didn't make any money, really, at the box office. Which is a, a shame, because... It's just so freaking cool. Like, I love the design of it. I love the idea of the train. And I love how it was shot. Like, you could, t- if this was any other director, I don't know that they would have captured that, like, great train robbery era so well and then made it contemporary in a Star Wars film. I just think they did such an amazing job with it. Agreed. I think the biggest surprise for me in, like, this 10 or 15 minute block of time is the fact that Val and Rio get bumped off. I expected that they were going to be like a bigger part of this film and that this was truly going to be Han's like adopted family. And they they kind of just like erased them very quickly. Same. I mean, I wasn't expecting like a full on Guardians of the Galaxy chosen family sort of scenario where they really bond over it. But I certainly didn't think that people who were so important to Beckett were going to get clapped that early and certainly not two of them. That was, that was really surprising. I could see, I could see them. I think Val had to go no matter what, because she didn't have that much of a strong story arc. Like her role in the heist was huge blowing up the bridge, but otherwise they didn't develop the character enough where we were getting attached to her the way that they did with Rio, I think. He's a scene stealer in the little time that we get him. Um, But Val sort of felt like more of a plot device for Beckett. So I think she had to be sacrificed to make his arc stronger. Did they not develop either one of them enough for us to care, though? For me, Rio, yes. But not for Val, who in theory should be more important than Rio is. True. For the, for the purpose of the story and for the purpose of the character Beckett, you would think that they would have done more with her. The two of them just, to me, even Rio, Rio's fun, but to me, they felt like that those characters were there to die. Like, other than dying, they served no purpose. They were supposed to help on this heist, but really, their purpose was to die so that we had a movie. And if they weren't in this movie, we still would have had a movie. 
Right, because eventually they do sort of form a dysfunctional chosen family on the next adventure. But yeah, I mean, as far as the purpose that they served, I think, you know, Rio was the comic relief, which again, we're, we're going to get with Lando in a moment. Uh, and for Val, I mean, she's a tough loss, but more as it relates to Beckett. And, and because, you know, she sacrificed herself. That's more what I remember, but that doesn't, that doesn't develop an entire character just because she gave up her life for the cause. Yeah. It's not development. It's just, you know, a thing that happened in like 30 seconds of screen time. Yeah. Um, it, it doesn't make me feel bad for Beckett. Even after Han drops the coaxium because he knew that they couldn't carry it, especially when infant's nest showed up, like it, it didn't do anything for me that, she died in vain. Like typically when you have a character that dies in vain in a film, you're supposed to like feel something. I don't feel anything whatsoever for her or for Beckett, quite honestly. Right. To me, the next scene is more powerful where again, Beckett tries to give Han the out. And now, you know, he's spelling it out for him. Look at how much you can lose. Look at what I just lost. Um, and I feel more in that moment than I do losing Val. Sure. Aboard Voss's yacht, Han is reunited with Kira, who is now Voss's top lieutenant. To save their lives, Han suggests that they retrieve unrefined coaxium for Voss, so Dryden assigns Kira to the mission to ensure success. Let's drink two and see where it goes. This is one of the most Han Solo lines of Han Solo lines, and... It sounds natural. I, I'm, you know what? I'm just, I'm gonna pound the table, folks. It sounds natural coming from this actor in this version of this character. I one thousand percent agree. First of all, I love this entire scene. I love the idea of this floating yacht. I think they're doing what Star Wars does best, where they create this elaborate party scene whether it's the cantina um i i and they have you know the singer i just love when they do stuff like this and i know that star wars the strength is in the set design as far as you know putting the hunk of junk together and making it look cool and making it work and and just you know it's what we have with galaxy's edge it's just a bunch of rocks and and metal parts to make the droids and yet it looks amazing and that is their strength but to me I love these scenes just as much even though they're over the top except for the casino that's maybe going a, a tad too far but I think they hit this one right on the money I love that we get Kira back but my question for you is were you expecting that no um, I was not expecting it and I'm happy that we got it because I totally buy that this is something that Kira would do because ultimately, she's a survivor. She's an orphan, just like Han Solo. She's going to do what she has to do to survive. I completely buy that she would turn to Crimson Dawn. Not necessarily that she believes in their cause so much as she believes in survival. And I can totally see her playing up on Dryden Voss and using his attraction towards her to her benefit. 
I completely agree, especially because when we meet her and they're ready to make their escape, she's the one. What happens if if this happens, if they detain us, if we get trafficked or whatever? She's the one running through the list of worst case scenarios. And now she has sort of become one because she is a slave to this yacht. You know, she's branded. Uh, she she can't, you know, act in her own free will. Um, but to circle back to what you said about let's drink two and see where it goes. Uh, I hate that this film was not more of a commercial success because to me, that is one of the greatest lines in cinema history. I'll go on the record and say it. I think it's brilliant. I think it fits the character. I think it's witty. And I almost wish that this was the first time that they had met because this would be like the best meet cute of all time. It would be up there for sure. I also love the introduction to this antagonist, Dryden Voss. Um, we'll talk about Paul Bettany and the rest of the cast and his performance, you know, in a little while here. Um, but I think from the jump, this is a great... I'm not going to call him a villain. I'll just call him an antagonist. I think it's a great antagonist. I love his introduction. I love his attitude. Um... And I think that this character fits in the Star Wars universe. He really is the best kind of menacing where he's so calm, like too calm. Calm British. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, like the, the guy in the Patriot. Yes. Well, he's not. No, he's not calm. He's just British. He's out of his mind. Um, but yeah, you immediately know that you can't trust him. Aside from the fact that we have seen the mark, and I love how they film this too. We've seen the mark on Kira's wrist and within like a minute, Han sees the ring on Dryden's hand. Uh, So we know even though he comes in this charismatic character, uh, you can just tell you can't trust him. It is like the best false sense of security. And the other thing that I love about this scene is that it is quintessential Han Solo. He's going to make it up as he goes along. And he's just going to hope he gets lucky. Han Solo is very much like Captain Jack Sparrow in that way. Um, and I love that you're seeing here, really for the first time, how Han is thinking on the fly to get them out of this scenario. That the plan is, I don't have a plan, but we'll figure it out. Right. Right. It's just great character development. Needing a ship, Kira approaches Landel Calrissian, who is now in need of money despite being retired. Apparently, Lando can be bought out of his retirement when he gambles it all away. Lando agrees to make the Kessel run in exchange for 25% of the take, so he and his first mate, L3, lead them to his ship, the famed Millennium Falcon. Let's talk about the introduction to Lando Calrissian. One of the most beloved characters in the Star Wars universe. So I will ask you, who has not watched Star Wars for quite as long as I have, how did you feel about this introduction to Lando Calrissian? Well, not only have I not watched Star Wars as long as you have 
I I have said it on the show before. I don't nearly have the attachment that you do to it. I'm I, I wouldn't call myself a new fan. I'll I'll say it. I'm a bandwagon jumper. I got into it after Galaxy's Edge. I got more into it. And I also am a fan of the last trilogy in comparison, you know, to, I mean I'm not so I'm not so green where Phantom Menace is my favorite movie. No. I know that, but I'm definitely more on board with the later films, but I wouldn't necessarily consider myself late to the party because I just couldn't get into it before. Uh, so with all of that being said, now that you're caught up on where my stance is with Star Wars, um, I think this is fantastic. Longtime fan or not, you had to create like the perfect moment here because this is what the legend is. This is what we've heard about. This has been, I mean, you know that he has obviously the relationship with Lando, but as far as I, I kind of feel like the intro to Lando and the Kessel run sort of go hand in hand here. And because they have said it offhand so many times, you are setting up this epic adventure. So this has to land hard. And I think they succeeded. I agree. What I love most about the introduction to this character, other than the actor that played him, of course, is that I could never understand as a kid why everybody knows his name is Han Solo. Everybody calls him Han. Nobody calls him Han. Except for Lando Calrissian. And it was always sort of strange to me that in a saga with such a massive cast and such an iconic character that you would have one character kind of mispronounce his name over and over and over again. So I love that they kind of like retcon that into he knows that he's calling him Han. He is corrected and still does it. Because when they meet, he has absolutely no respect for him. So when you see it later on, it's sort of become like a pet name that is now an inside joke between the two of them. I thought it was brilliant that they tackled it. For a lot of people, they probably didn't think much of it, and perhaps I'm making more of it than is necessary. But that was probably my favorite thing other than, you know... Donald Glover himself. I definitely agree. This is like the perfect retcon because they address it, but without calling too much attention to it where it feels heavy handed. Uh, let me ask you though, because this is one of those instances where I go back and forth as far as what the intent was with the script, with telling this story. Do you think that they always that this was always the plan to actually play out what happened in the Kessel Run. I think that if you're going to do a Han Solo origin story, it would only make sense for them to tackle this because we've heard about the Kessel Run over and over and over again with absolutely no knowledge of what it is. So, I mean, that's always been Han's claim to fame for 
I mean, at this point, nearly 50 years, you know, over four, well over 40 years, we know what his claim to fame is by name alone. We have absolutely no idea what the Kessel Run was, what it entailed, who was there, what he was doing. So I think that if you were going to tell this story, it would only make sense to to tell this story. So I believe that it probably was their intention the entire time. I think it would have been really funny if they left it ambiguous and we see all of these other epic adventures play out that gave him this reputation, but that's still the one thing that we don't know. But being that we do get to see it, I don't feel like the way this plays out is lip service to the fandom. No, I think that it fills in the gaps. It gives us, you know, it gives us something to reference. It doesn't feel out of place, but it also doesn't necessarily create more questions. Right. It, 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 I think that it, it sort of does a good job in telling us a one-off story, and now we know. Right. So um, I think for what they tried to tackle, I think so far they've done a very good job of it. Yes. Um, now upon Kessel, after they have now traveled there and you see the back and forth between Kira and Han and Lando, um, and you see how Lando is a cheat when he plays Sabak, um, they infiltrate the coaxium mines and they steal the coaxium. L3, meanwhile, has staged a revolt using the other droids, but is soon killed. They upload her memory bank into the Falcon as she has the best navigational system in the galaxy. How did you feel about this heist in particular? Uh, I really love this whole scene because Lando and Han are just barely working together enough to survive this whole thing. Uh, They certainly haven't acknowledged each other yet as like a worthy adversary even. Um, It's just kind of like get in, get out. Let's do what we have to do and and don't stand in my way. Uh, So I like that there's not that immediate bond, even, even with the rest of them. I mean, I think that it's different because Han obviously has the emotional tie to Kira. Uh, Him and Chewie are clearly bonded at this point. Even Beckett, it is starting to feel like a chosen family. Um, but Lando isn't really like grouped in with that just yet. And they do, they do eventually get it there, but I like that it's not immediate. It doesn't happen on the planet. Um, I think, I think it was an interesting way to go about this because there's so much comic relief coming through L3. Uh, I think she's hysterical. I love that, you know, she's for a cause, but she uses that as a distraction. Uh, and she 
well, not inadvertently, she causes the droid and the Wookiee uprising. And it is ultimately what gets them out of there, even though it gets her killed. And I think that's what I like so much about it. It, You know what it does? It doesn't fall victim to what so many heist films fall victim to, which is trying to do too much. The Ocean's Eleven sequels, not the first one, but the sequels, they're way too much. And a lot of the films that came out around that time, because that's what was trendy, they do way too much. I think this one, they stick to a very sound plan. I think it's well thought out. I think it's very smart, and I buy that they could have gotten away with it had L3 not caused this ruckus. Right. So after all of that happens... um the coaxium begins to destabilize. So we need to get this coaxium to a refinery, but fast. So Han pilots the Falcon and makes the Kessel run in 12 parsecs and avoids an Imperial blockade. They arrive at Savarine to have the coaxium refined and stabilized, but Enfin's Nest arrives, and Lando abandons them and leaves on the Falcon. Nest reveals that she and her gang are fighting against the Empire and the crime syndicates. Han decides that they need to double-cross Voss, get paid, and help Enfin's Nest, but Beckett disagrees and leaves after telling Han to meet him on Tatooine. We, you asked me before if I felt like it was always their intention to make a film based on the Kessel Run, and I said that I believe that it was, um, and it's so interesting even upon multiple viewings, to see how this whole thing plays out. Yes. Um, I know some people didn't love that this is what the Kessel Run meant. And I can sort of see why people felt that way. But I think for the story that they were trying to tell here and trying to do something that fit the Star Wars universe kind of broke the mold of what a quote-unquote typical Star Wars film was, I like that this is the direction that they went in. My question for those who don't love that this is what the Castle Run is, like, what would you have preferred? Them pod racing through the Castle Run? Don't ever say that again. <laughs> uh, what I like here even more than the Castle Run, though, and again, I have no attachment to how that played out. I thought it was great. But what I love more is how Han ends up piloting the Falcon because it, it was such a natural thing. It wasn't him butting heads with Lando. It was that he had to do it. There was a bigger purpose to losing L3 because Lando goes back to save her. Uh, he ends up getting hurt in the process. Chewie goes back for him, gets them both back onto the Falcon. Uh, and that moment where Han needs a co-pilot and Chewie just slides into the seat. It happens so naturally and it feels so familiar and obviously it's supposed to, but I just thought it was so beautifully done the way the whole thing unfolds. 
and I love that you get this moment with Han and with Enfys Nest where there's more to her than just being a marauder. Yes. Because we believe up to this point, it's just another bump in the road. It's just another adversary. I love that there's more to her. I love that she and the others, much like Han, are orphans that are fighting for their survival. And it gives him a reason to connect with her specifically and change the plan on the fly. I completely agree. I love how they do this reveal because you get that moment where you think you're going to get a breather because they're going up to the bar and then you just hear the voice behind them and you know that they've been, you know, that, that Infisness caught up. Um, I, I think that that was such a brilliant way to go that she too is fighting for a cause because up until this point, it always has been so black and white with Star Wars. It's always been that constant battle between the dark and the light, the First Order and the Resistance, or the Empire and the Rebellion. Uh, we've never really gotten this gray area before. And, and I love that that was introduced now, that this is just a story of survival and... In this case, Infus Nest is just trying to survive as well. Uh, but I think that's such a great parallel for Han. Right. And I mean, this has kind of always been Han, right? Like, we know that he's selfish. We know that he's arrogant. It's how he's always been. He still is to an extent in this film, though far more subdued as opposed to what he is in the later films. But... You, you you can almost never really figure out why for somebody so selfish, he seems to always find the good and he seems to have a soft spot. And I love that they planted that here and that it's kind of just been an ongoing character trait with Han in every iteration of him. I love that they also had Kira plant that because she tells him, I know something that nobody else does is that you're one of the good guys. Yeah. And I think that, that that's important because since she saw the good in him, it is what grounds him. For sure. Back on board Voss's yacht, we learn that Beckett double-crossed Han and he didn't actually leave him. Um, and it turns out that Han was prepared for this, however, and that he did not give the coaxium to Nest. And that the real coaxium is, in fact, on board the yacht. After a skirmish, Kira kills Voss and sends Han to stop Beckett, who has since taken the coaxium for himself. Kira, seemingly in charge of Crimson Dawn, tells Darth Maul, what? <laughs> yeah. That Beckett killed Voss and Kira agrees to meet him to discuss the matter. There is so much that happens in this one scene. Um, let's talk about Beckett. There's that false sense of security when he leaves. And if there's, I'm not going to call it bad screenwriting, but I haven't had a lot of issues with the screenwriting up to this point. If there is any issue at all, 
it's that when Beckett leaves and he tells Han to meet him on Tatooine because there's a gangster putting a group together, he's talking about Jabba the Hutt. You believe that Beckett is really going to leave so that he can go work for Jabba. And if there were to be a sequel to Solo up to this point, you're thinking, well, the Solo is going to continue the adventures of Beckett and Han along with Chewie, now with Jabba the Hutt. Um, so I don't mind that he double-crossed him, but it... And I don't mind fake-outs in films, but this didn't feel like a fake-out. This felt like they wrote him out and changed their mind. Um, Because why would he tell him go to Tatooine to meet to put this gang together? Well, here's the thing. I never believed that they were going to get to Tatooine for a second. Um, But yes, I do sort of agree that I think they wrote themselves into a little bit of a corner there. Uh, But regardless, I love all the double crossing because, again, I think this speaks more to Han's character than anything else. Uh, he's actually gambling with the real thing. Yeah. That I was very surprised at. Like when, when Dryden calls him out and he's like, how'd you, how'd you do it? We know he didn't mean the Kessel run. We know that he means how did you replicate the coaxium? So, so exact. Uh, but I didn't think it was the real thing. I knew there was, there had to be some other plan in place. Um, what I actually thought was going to happen I thought maybe Beckett was in on that too and was part of that this wasn't a double cross, that it was a setup. When I saw this movie for the first time, that's what I thought it was going to be, which would have made even less sense that he told Han to come see him on Tatooine. Um, Just for the sake of faking out the audience? Yeah. Like, we don't need to be faked out. Right. Beckett needs to be faked out. Right. Um, I like it for Beckett. Yes. Um, or I should say Voss needs to be faked out. But I like it for Beckett because you can kind of see where Beckett makes it up on the fly. Beckett's loyalties lie where the money is, not unlike Han Solo. So you can see where Han takes so much from Beckett and Beckett is such an influence on him. Though I think I would have liked it more if that's what had happened, if they had teamed up together. Um, I like that Han did this because it drew all of Voss's men off the ship to what they thought was going to be Enfys Nest, and it wasn't, and that Enfys Nest, when they show up, basically annihilate all of Voss's men. I, I thought I thought that made sense. I thought it was smart so that Han wasn't at a handicap. Right. Um, you know, yeah, I think thought Beckett would have played more of a role there. I think I would have been just fine if Beckett and Han and Kira were just going to double cross and triple team Dryden. Um, But I don't really understand. I mean, I guess Beckett, Beckett, after all, is a pirate and a criminal. But after all of this, I don't understand why he's double crossing Han again. Again, because they were always in it together. I mean, I guess that is the whole point, right? We sort of have to establish that Han is in it for himself. And I feel like... 
with with his relationship with Chewie, you know that they're going to be loyal to each other until the end, especially because Chewie turned his back on his tribe and his kind right. to help Han and help them all out, really. Um, but as far as Beckett goes, I feel like... I feel like it would have been a disservice to the character if Beckett stayed, lo- if Beckett and Han stayed loyal to each other. Um, not as far as Beckett's character. I mean, as far as Han's character, because otherwise, how do you, how do you create the Han that we know? If he's got a sidekick, he's certainly not going to be Beckett's sidekick. And he doesn't need one other than Chewie. So I think you did kind of have to separate them. Uh, and I think it was very fitting that ultimately he takes Beckett out because otherwise I don't think that he would have earned the reputation that we've come to know. Sure. And I mean, it also sets up really the beginning of the climax for this film because when Han does track Beckett down to get the coaxium back, Beckett reaches for his weapon and he tells Han, I'm going to teach you the final lesson, and Han shoots and kills him. He then watches Kira fly off. So she's not going to stay with him. She's going to go to Darth Maul. And... Like seeing Darth Maul in this movie, and I hate episode one. I can't stand episode one. And I couldn't figure out why they killed Darth Maul in that film because he's such a cool character. Um, Seeing him back, it left me with a lot of questions. Um, First off, how's he alive? Because he got cut in half um, by Obi-Wan Kenobi. So I don't know why or how he is back, um, yet here he is. And it left me wanting more. I want to know why Kira is loyal to him, why she cared so much about ruling Crimson Dawn. Um, I I just want to know how he came back. Um, It was a shock, but I was so happy that this was the direction that they went into because I think that... Ultimately, had they made more films, you would have given a really good villain who had no business dying that quick a shot at redemption. I mean, they brought Palpatine back, so I guess nothing is out of the realm of possibility at this point, right? Yeah. Do you, though, think that that was, again, intended or something that they just peppered in for some shock value? Supposedly, if George Lucas had kept making Star Wars films, it was always his intention to bring Darth Maul back, which leads to the question, why did you kill him in the first place again? Um, I, it may have not been the intention, but you're not going to show Darth Vader because this is 10 years before the events of A New Hope. Using the same logic, you're not going to show Luke or Leia. Um, right. I mean, you're not going to show Obi-Wan Kenobi. So that's a thing, right? Like, you need a villain. So who better than a villain that is kind of in limbo at that moment? So whether it was their intention or not, I think it worked. 
I just wish that we could see more of it. That's all. And what that means for Kira. Right. Because even though this wasn't her movie and she is the leading lady, they gave her such an interesting character. Like, I I wanted to see more of where that was going. Yeah, the whole leading lady femme fatale thing, right? Right. But I think, you know, as I said before, I think that Beckett had to go and same thing breaking Han's heart when they get separated as they're trying to escape in the very beginning isn't necessarily enough. You really had to reinforce the idea of he's acting in his own self-interest because he is the only person that he can trust. And because Beckett was, it was killer be killed with Beckett. And now Kira chose her own self-interest over love that's his takeaway is that i just have to look out for number one and that's it it's how han solo becomes han solo exactly um so before han solo becomes completely selfish he gives the coaxium to enfis nest who in turn gives him a small amount for his troubles then he finds lando and he takes his coax- uh, coaxium and he gambles with it, playing Sabacc. Except this time, he knows that Lando is a cheater. And when he prevents Lando from cheating with his hidden card, he wins the Millennium Falcon. And he and Chewie go to Tatooine to join the gang and to meet Jabba the Hutt. Um. I love the end of this movie. I love how when Lando says, you really have it for the Falcon, and Han says, the feeling's mutual, she belongs with me. Everything about it is great, and the way that Aaron Reich leans back on the chair and puts his hand out to Chewie and goes, have I ever steered you wrong? It's just so Han Solo. I really love the end of this movie. I agree. I mean, again, without having as much attachment to it as you do, I think just in the context of this film, it is the perfect ending. But again, now you you see this legendary story play out, how he wins the Falcon. And what I also like is it does put a nice bow on this movie as far as I want to be a pilot, I want to be a pilot, I want to be a pilot. That's not enough anymore. He wants to pilot the Falcon. It's it's a new goal. Uh, he's really figured out who he is now. Uh, that this is, it, it went from being a story of I need to win my girl back to having a purpose for his character. So I I think they did a great job of landing the plane here. All right. Um, let's start talking about the cast. Alden Ehrenreich. I've mentioned him a few times. Um, you know, I think that it was a bone of contention with a lot of people that you had somebody tackling a character like Han Solo. I think it was especially ripe for ridicule when you had an actor like Alden Ehrenreich who 
I'm not going to say he was an unknown, but unless you saw Hail Caesar, you probably didn't know exactly who he was. Um, and when word got out that there was an acting coach on the set, everybody immediately just assumed that it was him and that he couldn't figure out the character. Turns out that the acting coach was there kind of to just help everybody. Um, And in spite what the internet says, um, and again, go ahead and shoot the messenger, I don't care. I really, really liked him in this film. I thought that he did as good a job as you could have asked for. And it's tough to tackle this kind of character. It's it's an iconic character played by an iconic actor in an iconic franchise. There's almost no way that you're going to get it right. And yet, at the same time, I think he knocked it out of the park. I would agree. Uh Lots to unpack. I'm, I'm trying to respond to all of your points. Um, starting with Hail Caesar, I have seen it and I still didn't know who he was. Um, but I think that's just the right amount of unknown. You can't cast somebody where this is their first film. It's it's too heavy to put a franchise like this on their shoulders. But at the same time, you can't have somebody that's that well known because everybody's going to have something to say about it. As far as the acting coach, I had no idea that that was a thing on this set, but that doesn't mean that someone is a bad actor and that because there was an acting coach present that they needed help. An acting coach could be present on set for something as simple as watching down the original trilogy and really analyzing the performance, which of course the actor should be doing on their own, but a coach might be, seeing things that an actor doesn't necessarily pick up on and they're trying to help them translate that into the character now and you know you're also dealing with de-aging this character so a coach is there to help with all of these things not necessarily for CPR so I certainly don't think that that should be a knock against him especially when you know I think even if you, if you do take Harrison Ford out of the equation and just focus on what was done here, I still think it's a great performance. And like I said, from the moment we meet him, I, who has no attachment to this character, thought that he really embodied that sarcastic swagger that we all know and love with Han. I think he nailed it. Yeah, and the shame of it is the backlash was so severe that he kind of like went off the grid for a while. You didn't hear from him for years, which is a shame because I think he's an extraordinary talent. Amelia Clark plays Kira. I really like the character. I like the fact that she is a femme fatale, but also that you gave Han Solo somebody to match Han Solo. Han Solo and Leia, it's it's Han and Leia, it always will be. The opposites attract. Right. But you couldn't just do that again. I think you needed somebody to check him. I needed to see somebody that was a crook, 
like he was. I, I think I needed to see somebody that could think and make it up on the fly like him. And I thought that she was excellent in this film. I agree. Um, we've not watched Game of, Game of Thrones. I know we're like the last two people left. So obviously, you know, she was a known actress when they cast her. Um, but even even without that, I think that she gave a great performance, like you said, the femme fatale type of character. And what I love besides the performance, though, is just the yin and the yang with Han. Not necessarily, like you said, you can't have the opposites attracting again, but you needed somebody to balance him out and be a good sidekick in the beginning because they're trying to escape. And what they also managed to do was tell this really sweet story of, it almost felt like high school sweethearts who reconnect later on and you sort of realize that that person's not who you thought they were and that's not the same person that you fell in love with so I like that it also as much as he was hung up on getting his girl back it's also a story of growth and that you can't necessarily go back as far as this relationship goes yeah Woody Harrelson plays Tobias Beckett Woody Harrelson is just one of those actors that's good in everything that stands true here um I like the character Beckett, I like the influence that he has on Han. I like the influence that he has over Han. Um, And I think that you needed somebody else that was just going to stab him in the back and harden him to get him to what we know today. And I thought Beckett served that role perfectly. I agree. Um... Very similar to his performance in Zombieland, but I don't care. Although the difference is in Zombieland, he goes back to help Jesse Eisenberg and here he is going to take Han out. Um, But I wish that they hadn't. I mean, I do and I don't because you needed Han to take him out for Han's story. But in the context of the Star Wars universe, I wish that they hadn't had to kill off this character because I would have loved to seen what happened if he did make it to Tatooine and these adventures with Jabba and I I could have done a six part uh, Disney plus series with Beckett for sure. And maybe you would have seen a little bit more of Val played by Thandaway Newton. If they had done like a prequel, Um, nothing against the actress, but I said it before to me, she was there because she was there. Yeah, they squandered an opportunity to develop a more interesting character and make us really feel for her sacrifice more. Uh, Same with Rio. I mean, like I said, he's a scene stealer. Um, Does that have to do with him being Joyce by Favreau? Yeah, probably. Uh, I wanted more of him. And and likewise, if there was a six-part Disney Plus, like that's what I want to see is Beckett and Rio teaming up and going on these adventures. If we're going to get a series on anybody at this point, because I think, unfortunately, we're not going to see any more from Han Solo, um, it has to be with Lando Calrissian, and it has to be with Donald Glover. The scene-stealer of scene-stealers. The flowing capes, the panache... The attitude, 
if there's anybody in this film that was more perfect for a role than Aaron Reich, it's Donald Glover. Uh, he's incredible. I mean, he's incredible in everything that he does, but this was truly perfect casting. There's nobody else that could have done it. No. Phoebe Waller-Bridge plays L3. Fantastic comic relief. Yes. And I love, it's not just the comic relief and what it does for the story. I love what she does for Lando's character too. Yeah. um, Because she brings out the best in Lando. When he looks like he's kind of just fed up with her antics, you can tell that underneath that layer, there is a level of care that you otherwise wouldn't see from him. Right. And I sort of... I sort of look at her too as his Achilles heel because he goes back for her. It's ultimately what gets him hurt and it's what shows that he does have a heart, that he's not always going to be this snarky adversary to Han. For sure. Now that I'm thinking about it, L3 is what helped to forge that bond between the two of them because, and it's interesting, Lando has sort of lost everything. Han has lost everything except for Chewie. They've both learned that they can't trust anyone. And yet, even though they're adversaries, they do have this mutual respect and they do sort of trust each other. Even though they can't trust each other, they still somehow do. And and not in a friends close and enemies closer kind of way. I think probably because bigger picture they have the same goals and they know that they are eventually going to need each other. Right. Kind of in a, I hate that I love you so much. Yes. Uh, Paul Bettany plays Dryden Voss. Um, I said it before and I'll say it again. I think he's a great character. I think he's a great villain. And I think that Paul Bettany is a scene stealer. I mean, it's Paul Bettany. Like, what What else do you say? Does he ever not deliver a perfect performance? No. Um, he's incredible in this role. And it, it's so funny because as we've been talking through this list, every single time I want to go, oh, that was my favorite character. That was my favorite character. Uh, and I really, I really can't pick. I mean, maybe I, I, maybe I would say Dryden just because he is such a great, antagonist and it is Paul Bettany uh he he is like the cherry on top of a really large Sunday and a, he wasn't supposed to be I didn't know that he was not the original casting choice he wasn't even the original actor on set when they started filming this. oh it was one of those Michael K Williams was the original Dryden Voss huh but because they had to do so many reshoots when they changed directors, he could not come back to set Ouch. for the reshoots, and they had to recast the movie on the fly. And that's how Paul Bettany got into this. Wow. Listen, for what it's worth, and I love I love Williams. Unfortunately, he's not with us anymore. But if there's any incredible fallback plan... It's Paul Bettany. Yeah. Um, and that kind of leads us to our director, Ron Howard. Um, obviously, he's an icon. And he was not the first director on this film. Um, 
there were a couple of directors on this film. There were co-directors. Then there's Ron Howard. There were different writers. Um, How do you feel in regards to the finished product here? Do you think... And and now from you, you know, you've been on set before. Can you imagine what it's like for a director, even an accomplished one like Ron Howard, to absorb a film like this and have to make the changes? And do you think that he made the right changes? Um, I mean, I still am curious as to how much of what was originally intended for this film made it in and how much was changed once he came on. But I will say this for as many times as the baton was passed, it feels like a cohesive film. We've talked about films on this show that suffered from having multiple directors and they lost the through line in the process because too many people had their hands in it. I don't think that was a case because you don't bring in a director like Ron Howard if they can't save it. It's not a case of like, you know, an entire crew is jiving together and then they bring on a new director and you have to conform to to the director's way. I, I think this film was lost and he was what brought everyone together to actually bring it to the finish line. So to answer your question, I think that Ron Howard absolutely understood the assignment. I mean, I, I think that he just understands Star Wars to begin with and what a big task and and a challenge it is to begin with to take on a film in this franchise so I think that he would have done a great job even if he was the first person brought on but I think that he knew he had to overcompensate for the mess that he was inheriting Uh, and I think he knocked it out of the park and I think it's a shame that this film does not get as much credit as it deserves I mean I, I, I think you know it didn't do that well commercially. I feel like certain diehards are very hard on it. And my question is, what what do you think would have happened if he was not brought on? And how much worse it would be? You, you'd hate it even more. So this movie carries the title of being one of the most expensive films ever made with a budget of $275 million. Wow. Um, Which when you have that many reshoots and you change directors should not be much of a shock. Um, It made $350 million back. Um, So it, it did not break even. Disney did lose money on the deal. Um, And I think the question is, why is that? And is it that people were Star Wars'd out? I don't know that anybody is truly Star Wars'd out. I think that... I think Marvel is proof that no matter how many movies you put out, by and large, they're going to make money hand over fist. Morbius, not so much. I guess Morbius is the solo of the MCU. But you're also taking a character, then some people are going to go nuts over this. I don't know who the hell Morbius is, but everybody knows who Han Solo is. 
if you made another Wolverine movie, it's going to make a billion dollars at the box office. Why was this movie a flop? The internet made it a flop. I think sound or I I think message boards and Reddit and social media is what killed this movie. Now some of you will laugh because that's coming from me who hates Ghostbusters 2016, which is a film that has been accused of being killed through the internet. Here's the difference. It deserved it. It's genuinely a bad film. This is not a bad film. Is it a great film? I I love it. I'm not going to tell you it's great because there are certain issues with it, but not quite as bad as people made it out to be. Um, I think it's one of the better Star Wars films that Disney has made. Um, for me personally, it ranks higher than most of the new trilogy. Um, I would not put it in front of the original trilogy. I think to me, in the scope of Star Wars, ranked, this movie is probably number five. I don't think it deserves the negativity that it received. Um, I think it deserves a second life. I think Alden Ehrenreich deserves a redemption. I think people need to recognize him for what he did. I want to see him as Han Solo again. I want to see Donald Glover as Lando Calrissian again. I want to see Amelia Clark as Kira again. I don't think we're ever going to get it, and it's a shame. The internet killed this film unjustly. And that's your final synopsis. Yes, that's my final say. Okay, well, before I give mine, I just want to say before you come for Sean, he loves every single actress that is in Ghostbusters 2016. That's not the issue here. No. It's just a terrible movie. Thank you. We have seen Melissa McCarthy on Saturday Night Live in the audience. So he had high hopes going in, and and it just... We're not even going to get into it. We'll be here all night. But anyway. You know, I'm just realizing we saw all four of them. When we went to that taping, we saw all four of them. We did. All spectacular, funny actresses given a genuinely unfunny film by a genuinely funny director. That's the weird thing. Yeah. Let's just leave it there. I'll be here all night. Uh, You go ahead. (laughs) Like I said, I don't really have a lot of skin in the Star Wars game. I enjoy the films. I love going to Galaxy's Edge, but I haven't been a lifelong fan that is completely invested in this, that had a fear of getting my soul crushed by this movie. So I came in open-minded. I think I am pretty unbiased in my opinion, and I am just looking at this as an origin story that is part of a bigger franchise. And, you know, when I I do factor things like that in, when we are looking at origin stories, you know, we just did Doctor Strange last week. I'm looking at things in terms of, you know, does it connect to the bigger picture as a whole um, without sacrificing the story of the film itself? Do I think that there's a little bit of pandering happening here? yeah. You kind of have to a little bit, but I don't think that it's heavy handed where it takes you out of the film. Um, 
as far as the character goes, I think this film completely does Han Solo a justice. Um, I think it creates a person who lives up to the legend. Uh, I think that he earned the victories just as much as the battle scars, just enough to harden him for what we need him to be when we meet him later. Uh, so I certainly think that that all worked. And what I really like about it, and this is probably where I sort of gravitate to the more recent movies than I do the, the first two trilogies, is that it didn't really occur to me until we did this review that this is such a heist movie. It really is like a, a snatch and grab, double crossing film. And I think that's probably why I like it so much because it does incorporate a different genre it is a star wars movie but you could make the argument is it's more of a heist movie than anything else which is why i love rogue one so much because it's a war movie it feels more like a war a war movie than a star wars movie which i mean star wars war is in the title but it still feels completely different than anything else in the star wars universe meaning rogue one i feel like this does feel like a Star Wars film at the core. Uh, but there's enough here to stand on its own. And I want to comment on one more thing before we go to break here. You mentioned how there was some fan service in this film, but it's not heavy handed. I'm getting a little tired. It's time for a rant. You haven't had one in a while. <laughs> and in a while, I mean five minutes. Um, I'm getting a little tired of fan service being spit on because you know there are two complaints that I hear constantly when it comes to either a comic book movie or a Star Wars film or in more recent history the paid critics who had negative things to say about Ghostbusters Afterlife which was there's too much fan service. You know what? What the hell is wrong with that? There is nothing wrong with fan service in the MCU or in Star Wars or in DC or Harry Potter or anything that has a rich history with a lot of subject matter and a lot of source material. Because what's the other complaint that you hear when it comes to these? They didn't stick to the source material. Yeah. So let me understand something. If you stick too much to the source material, it's fan service. But if you don't stick to the source material, it's bad. Well, I think that is what makes for some of the best movies as far as franchise film go is when you figure out how to strike that balance. But as far as the internet argument over this uh choose you you have to choose because if you don't want to see these fan service movies anymore you have to stop going but oh wait you're a fan so you're not not gonna go or here's an idea if you are getting tired of fan service movies do something new because everything now is a franchise. Nothing gets made for a one-off. Everything gets made for two sequels and three prequels. That's what the movie industry is at this point. 
right? Um, I think it's making a comeback. There are a lot of original screenplays coming out this year, but I also think that we're seeing that uh, this this is sort of the stockpile right. that came from productions being shut down in 2020. There were a lot of projects that got greenlit in end of 2020, 2021, but the budget just wasn't there yet. So I think we're going to see a big shakeup this year, actually. Right. Fill the slate, right? Yes. All right. Well, we want to know what you have to say about Solo. You can let us know on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Monoreal Radio. You can also email us, monorealradio at gmail.com. News of the week. And a new giveaway is coming up. But first, a quick break. If you're thinking of taking a Disney trip this year, whether it's Walt Disney World in Florida, Disneyland in California, a Disney cruise, or Olani in Hawaii, get in touch with me for a free quote. I would love to help you plan a trip for you and your family. Or even if you've already booked, reach out. I want to help get you the best deal possible. You can contact me on any of the Monoreal Radio social media outlets or shoot me an email at j.zolezzi, that's Z-O-L-E-Z-Z-I, at MagicalVacationPlanner.com. News of the Week is brought to you by Karma and Kismet Design. If you are looking for media kits, graphic design, perhaps you have an event coming up, you need save the dates, table numbers, thank you cards, or maybe you just need that touch of Disney in your home decor or your stationery. Star Wars graphics, there's a lot of those. Yes, yes, yes. Kelly loves her some Star Wars. Yes, she does, and she's got you covered. Plus, listeners of the show get a 10% discount with the code MONORAIL10 at checkout. Visit her online to see everything that she's got to offer at karmaandkismetdesigns.com. That's karma, the letter N, kismetdesigns.com. We've got a lot of parks news this week. Um, Always encouraging to hear that we have a lot of parks news because... That just means that the parks are rocking and rolling and we're getting back to normal. I absolutely love it. Up to and including some construction. Um, Thankfully, it's not construction at Walt Disney World because we still have construction walls all over Epcot. So until that's done, I don't want to see anything else happen. Agreed. But, um, and Tron, you know, Tron is still not open yet. Um, But Tokyo Disney is getting a little bit of a facelift. They are getting a new Space Mountain and a new plaza. Now, the concept art that we've seen kind of feels a little trony. It looks like they copy and pasted the dome on top of Space Mountain. I mean, does it need a facelift? Maybe we're probably going to get one soon, too, because what Tomorrowland is starting to run into is the issue that Epcot had in Future World, where Future World looked great for 1980 when it was built, but now it's in the past. Right. And I don't just mean the 80s. I mean what they thought the future was going to look like. We have already surpassed that. So I kind of think Tomorrowland is going to be feeling that a little. Uh it looks cool. I mean, I I love it on the Tron Dome. So I don't hate the design. Um, you know, I think when when it's done, it's all going to look great together. Right. Yeah, I mean, it looks cool. I think they'll tie it in nicely, but yeah, it's 
they're they're kind of leaning into this Tron thing now at multiple parks, even though they're not saying Space, Space Mountain's going to become Tron. It's just the aesthetic of it is starting to kind of bleed over, and it's becoming like the new thing. Yeah, it's that... Uh, it, it looks like a blue... That curvy line, that glowing... Yeah. Uh, almost a neon light. Yeah. Is kind of woven into the... Uh, in, into the existing structure, you right. still get that the two domes on Space Mountain. It's just it's getting a new roof. We're also getting a new character at the Avengers Campus in Disneyland. Wanda is joining the Avengers Campus. It makes sense because we have uh, the Multiverse of Madness coming out this week. Quite honestly, with the success of WandaVision, I'm sort of surprised she wasn't already there. Uh, yes and no. I mean, I I think they strategically held her release because Avengers Campus was going to be popular no matter what, right? Now you give people a reason to go back, which I am sort of peanut butter and jelly because obviously we haven't done Avengers Campus yet and we just moved closer to Disney World and now I feel like all of our friends are going out to California to take a Disneyland trip. So... I'm interested to hear their thoughts when they get to see Wanda. I'm I'm slightly jealous, though, that they get to see her. All right. Well, let's talk about some Disney World-related items here. Uh, we're not talking about annual passes, so it's great that all of this is happening, not that we get to experience any of it. Um, but there was, there was, can you believe, there was a goof by Disney this week at World of Disney? No, I don't believe it. I don't believe that any, nothing leaks on the internet anymore. They don't give you anything that they don't want you to actually have. Oh, no, but they don't want you to have things at almost half price. So I think that this was a legitimate mistake. That's true. But coming on the heels of the Run Disney debacle, it's like, how do you mess this up? Well... <laughs> For those that um, are not aware of what happened this weekend, the Magic Band Plus that they've been talking about for a while that's going to be interactive in the parks, um, hopefully takes you off of your damn cell phone at the parks so that you can like actually enjoy being at Walt Disney World. Um, they were put on the shelves at World of Disney on Saturday and uh, people were purchasing them for twenty nine ninety nine, which is not their supposed price tag. They were not supposed to be put out yet. And basically, if you bought one, you were being reached out to to be told that you can't use it because they're not ready to go. See, that's wrong, though. It, if you sold them, like, just eat it. You You made a mistake, and that's it. That that doesn't fall to the consumer. And and that goes for anywhere, not just Disney. Right. You screwed up. But, I mean, I guess that means that obviously they're coming soon. I know that Disney had filed with, you know, the FCC. They had filed for some permits because, you know, it all runs through radio waves and all that. So you have to, you have to file for that kind of thing. Um, I thought maybe by the end of the year, but if you're telling me they've already got them in stock, sitting in the back of World of Disney, ready to be put on the shelves, do they roll out for Memorial Day? 
Maybe. This is why I don't think that there are any accidents. I think this Uh, is a beta test. No. Well, why? But but beta tests so that people can't use them? It, It just wouldn't make sense. And then you've sold them to these people for, I think, half... Uh, my understanding was that these things were going to start at $49 with the limited edition ones being closer to 75 So uh, I don't think uh, I don't think they want like all press is good press, but not this, because not only is it another screw up on your end, but it costs you 50 percent of your markup. I don't know that this is really good publicity or that this was a stunt by Disney. I think this was just a poor CM, probably new, that doesn't have enough training because they're rushing people out there, that just grabbed magic bands and put them on a shelf. Okay, but say that is what happened. When you ring them in, I mean, I guess... That that would be the mistake is if they're ringing in as a regular magic band. But I have to imagine these are scanning in as the special magic band. So if they're in the system, that would mean that they would have had to input them into the system at that price point. You know what I wonder? If they're using the same SKU numbers because ultimately what their goal is, is to phase out the original Magic Band. Right. So that you have to buy Magic Band Plus. Right. I bet you anything that's what happened. That would explain it. Because I think that it was a red one, a black one, and a blue one that went out. So I could see them saying, okay, we don't have red, black, and blue Magic Bands anymore. So just cha- we're just going to assign the SKU number from those to this. And that's what we're going to start selling because we're going to slowly, over the course of, say, the next two years, we're going to phase out the magic band in favor of this. Mm-hmm. Because then anybody who hasn't come here before has to buy one at full price. And anybody that comes here regularly that wants to take advantage of all of the amenities and all of the you know, additional activities now... You've already bought a magic band? Well, now you got to buy another one, and it's twice as much money. I'm t- that's just my guess. Call me crazy, <laughs> but I think the business that's in the business of making money is going to find a way to make money. That's just my guess. Money finds a way. Money does find a way. You know what else finds a way? Halloween! Hallelujah! Halloween is back at Walt Disney World! This week was the halfway to Halloween mark on the calendar. And I got to give you credit because during our Dockside chat a couple of weeks ago, you said that we were just about at the six-month mark and you anticipated that announcements would be coming. And boy, did they ever come. I don't think anybody was as excited as you and I because we've never done Not So Scary. Before we moved to Florida, we always did our big Disney trip every other year in November because it would fall on our anniversary. So we always missed Halloween by a very small margin. And in October 2020, we had a wedding in Florida. So we were like, that's it. We're, we're adding a day. We're doing Not So Scary. And this was obviously in January of 2020. And yeah. we thought, well, surely by October we'll be fine. Yeah, that was a mistake. Uh, so we have been impatiently awaiting the return of Not So Scary ever since. And 
I cannot wait. I don't want to wish my life away, but oh my gosh, I can't wait. What I'm happy about is not only is Not So Scary coming back in all of its glory, but it's coming back at the old pricing. This was a big bone of contention for us last year when we came on our last Disney vacation before we moved down here. We always go to Very Merry. We didn't go because it wasn't Very Merry. And for more money than we ever paid to go to Very Merry, we were getting so much less. And I feared, truly, that that was just going to be the way of it moving forward. The fact that Not So Scary is coming back, and coming back at its old price point, with all of the amenities, tells me somebody is listening. I've said it on the show before, more so in recent history than in past tenths. Um, somebody's listening. I, I feel like we are slowly starting to go back to a Disney that we all know and love. I think, whereas you get opportunities to make money with Magic Band Plus, at the same time, they could have just as easily said, not so scary... It's coming back under title alone, but it's going to cost more money and we're still going to give you less, but come buy the t-shirt. The fact that we're getting it back in its glory at that price is awfully encouraging. I'm wondering if this is a response to the guest experience surveys being so low because there are still a lot of things like the Magical Express that were once free that have been taken away. So I'm wondering if this just was a knee-jerk reaction and this is fan service to bring back not a not just a popular event, but a beloved event and to put it back exactly the way it was to make the guests happy and not rake them over the coals to do it. Right. And we're starting to see some of the snacks that are going to be made available. And we're starting to see the merchandise. And the merchandise is what is driving people crazy right now. They have the skeleton dance on a hoodie. I nearly hit the floor when I saw that. That yeah. that short does not nearly get enough love. And I was so happy to see that. Yeah, so that's on the hoodie. They have a Mummy Mickey popcorn bucket, which actually looks really cool. Um, and... They have Minnie, Daisy, and Clarabelle dressed up as the Sanderson sisters on the Disney Cruise Line. You don't care. I don't. Um, I'm not even going to lie about it. I damn near fell out of my chair when I saw that. That is, I mean, first of all, I can appreciate that they are starting to incorporate the cruise line in on the fun. Because they have the Marvel Day at Sea. They have Star Wars Day at Sea. Obviously, if you go, you know, in October, they do a lot geared towards Halloween. But I love that they are trying to make this such a thing. And I feel like this is one of the best things they've ever done with an IP. It's so brilliant. It, the girls look so cute. I, I, oh, my God. I like there's nothing better. Un- unless you put Billy Butcherson in the parks, which they're not going to do because he's too terrifying. Like there's nothing better that you could have done with Hocus Pocus. I'm going to take your word for it. Um, (laughs) And we are getting another Hocus Pocus film this year. I mean, 
We're reviewing it in October. It can't be worse than the original. We are reviewing it in October. You know what else? We've already discussed this, but because I've committed to this episode, like we're doing it. You know what else can't be worse than the original? Haunted Mansion. And we got a release date for Haunted Mansion, which defies conventional wisdom. Um, (laughs) (laughs) March 10th of 2023 one week before st patrick's day not october 2022 okay you can't get it done fast enough that's fine but i why why not october 2023 why the hell is haunted mansion coming out in march of 2023 so that you can release it on disney plus streaming in october it makes no sense why why did they slate it for March? I'm laughing so hard because we have ripped into JPEG for so many things. And your choice of words to defy conventional wisdom on a movie release just that punched me right in the funny bone. I don't I don't get it. No, like it, I'm happy it's coming, it but sense. I don't understand it. Okay, forget that you can't rush it out for October of 2022. Why not hold it for October of 2023? Nobody's year is going to be ruined if they have to wait (laughs) until October to see a movie that they want to watch in October to begin with. You also gave us The Muppets Haunted Mansion. That will more than hold us over. I mean, look, I'm happy we're getting it. Um, that's the thing, right? Like, I'm happy we're getting it, and I'm gonna be sitting there in, you know, some some sort of St. Patrick's Day garb in March, sweating this year in Florida, watching the film in October, or sorry, watching the film in March, knowing that I should be watching it in October because I'm gonna go want to see the Haunted Mansion film. Oh, we're gonna go see. It. I bet you they push it back. I bet you they just created the hype around it and then. Probably by the end of this year, they'll be like, mm, no, wait another year. Oh, or they'll push it to September and then they'll push it to October. It just doesn't look. I'm happy we're getting it. Of course, we're going to go see it. But it just doesn't make any sense to put out a film that is truly meant for Halloween. In March, it's like it's like if 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 Disney did another Christmas film and they released it you know, on Arbor Day. It just wouldn't make sense. It's not even halfway to Halloween. See, that, that's now. See, that would have made that sense. That would have made sense. If they would have done a release halfway to Halloween and then hopefully the movie's good, hopefully it's a box office smash, you could have built some theming and not so scary around Haunted Mansion and made it a very Haunted Mansion-centric, not so scary and you could have done this big marketing blitz, and then you release it on Disney Plus in October, that would have made a lot of sense. Right. But at any rate, that's when we're getting it. Um, Now what you've all been waiting for, if you're still with us. Yes. This has been a long one, so thanks for sticking with us. We have a giveaway for you. To go with the theme of the episode, we wanted to give you something Star Wars-centric. You're going to get a monoreal radio t-shirt, which the mo- given. which is a given and has to do with Star Wars because you just listen to monoreal radio discuss a Star Wars film. 
We also have a really spectacular Darth Vader straw charm from our very good friends at the Hidden Mickey Supply Co. And a Grogu Funko, which I know is in demand. So, to enter to win the Monoreal Radio prize pack, keep an eye on that social media, Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Make sure you are liking us on our social media. When we put the post out, like we always do, advertising the contest, make sure that you like the tag, or like the post, I should say, and tag a friend. So like the page, like the post. Or, or follow if you're on Twitter or Instagram right. or TikTok. They know what I meant. At this point, I hope you know what I meant. Um, follow us on social media, like the post, tag a friend. Thanks. By Monday, May 9th, 2022 at 11.59 p.m. And for the episode that will release the next day, we will announce our winner. Thank you all so much for joining us this and every week on Monoreal Radio. Don't forget to like, subscribe, and rate us on Verbal or your podcast platform of choice. We just mentioned all of that social media. Make sure that you like, follow, whatever you want to call it, because you got to be a part of it to win that prize pack. And for links to everything related to the show, it is online at monorailradio.com. For Jackie, I'm Sean. Have a magical week, everyone. On behalf of Monoreal Radio, we'd like to thank you for joining us. We'll see you at the movies, the stuff dreams are made of.